2: Hey, Dylan. Yeah? What do you think of when I say machine?
3: I think of something either really complex or really simple, and something that's either really helpful or really frustrating. What do you think of?
2: Is it bad that I immediately think of Westworld in the movie Her, where machines are portrayed with such human-like characteristics? So what's she like?
3: Well, her name's Samantha, and she's an operating system really complex and interesting. Wait, and that's only I'm sorry.
2: You're dating your computer? Do I watch too much TV? Yes, we know I watch too much TV. But my binge watching led me to really think about how our society views the machines we use in our day-to-day life. They are starting to become more human every day. They know our schedules, our likes and dislikes, who we talk to the most, and they're even starting to drive on their own. So it got me thinking, what are the real differences between us? And that's what we're talking about today. We're listening to the answers to the question, what is the difference between a human and a machine?
3: Welcome to The Question Booth. My name is Dylan Fagan.
2: And I'm Kathleen Quillian. Just a reminder that we're diving deep into the interviews of our Question Booth participants for a few weeks. So this is part one of our exploration into the similarities and differences between humans and machines. Next week, we'll hear from an expert from a Question Booth field trip. But more on that at the end of the show.
3: Yeah, because this week we want to focus on the participants and exploring the pattern that developed in the booth.
2: The pattern that I started to see was that almost everyone touched on the subject of artificial intelligence. I was glad to know I was not alone in my feelings about the complex world of AI and machine learning.
3: And for some context, the development of AI has been growing at a rapid rate lately.
2: Yes. So according to Stanford University's AI Index... There has been a 14-time increase in the number of active AI startups since 2000. And the share of jobs requiring AI skills has grown 4.5 times since 2013.
3: What was it about AI that got people talking? What were the differences that they pointed out this week?
2: Most folks struggled with the idea of machines having a soul or a moral compass. Could a machine learn right from wrong? So much of what makes us human are our life experiences. Question Boothers had a hard time believing a machine could be programmed with the complex memories of a human. But why don't we start off this week by hearing from Sarah and Lauren?
4: My opinion of the difference between a human and a machine is that a human has the ability to um, use logic to make decisions.
5: I think the difference for me would be around like a moral compass, like morality. I feel like you can program a machine to maybe even have something like logic, but I'm not sure how you would teach a a machine to react emotionally and then like apply moral logic because a lot of times the situation could feel black and white, but then there's that moral aspect that's hard to define.
2: Yeah, I do think it's like that moral, I don't know how you would program that, I don't know. I just, I think it's just, why would you take someone's heart and put it into a robot?
5: Well, like, because I think morality is like comprised of experiences, like you sort of see how you when you do something, someone reacts back to you. And then you're not going if you get an unfavorable reaction, you're going to like autocorrect yourself and say like, well, now I'm plugging this away into my morality bank. And next time I'm not going to do this. Oh, I like have had this conversation a lot with some friends. We're all kind of in computers. But this idea that. Like robots absolutely can replace like the majority, like the technology is already there. It's a matter, I think, of like how it's going to be released and implemented into the world for the majority of a workforce to be replaced with robots. And when that happens, the effect that it would have on what money actually means, because you can't have a society that's all of a sudden then based on money because people are not going to be working because these robots can do it. And like governments can't allow large portions of society to just not have jobs. So then like in this future state world, like time becomes the commodity that money once was and like the robots do all of your jobs and then you have all of this free time. And what do you do with your time? Like, I I see that being like time being the most valuable commodity over money.
2: Yeah. Also, another question I have is, um, do you think you could ever love a machine?
4: I would say I would love what it is doing for me, but I don't think you'd have that emotional connection where, you know, you would do anything for this machine mm-hmm. as you would for another human. Yeah. Um, I think that the capacity to feel would be different, feel true emotions with a machine as opposed to a human. So, no, I don't think that you could have the true love that we experience with other people.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it couldn't be fully reciprocated. Right. I I hear the Roomba is like the greatest thing since sliced bread and I'm just waiting to get it, but I think I might fall in love with it.
3: I feel like they touched on something that is a common theme when it comes to AI. There's this fear that machines will replace us and our jobs will become obsolete. The thought that time will become the new commodity over money is an interesting concept to wrap my head around.
2: Maybe they're like me and they're watching way too much Westworld.
3: Maybe, but AI is hard to talk about sometimes. There are conflicting views and varying levels of awareness about what it does. And Elon Musk recently tweeted about how artificial intelligence is more dangerous than North Korea, in his opinion. Statements like that can definitely influence people's opinions on AI, for better or worse.
2: He also ended that tweet by saying that, in the end, the machines will win.
3: (laughs) That's pretty intense.
2: Just a bit. Yeah, so when you have one of the most influential men in AI telling you to be scared... How can you not be? AI is so complex. And I know personally, I still have a lot to learn after researching for this episode.
3: And AI has a lot to learn about you. I'm just kidding. Oh,
2: no. I'm already scared. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Let's move on to Randa and Justin.
6: I feel like the main difference is uh, humans have feelings, humans have a conscience, humans can feel love, they can feel hurt, sadness. And machines, they are technological, and they are just code, pretty much.
7: Mm-hmm. I, I have a similar thing to that, I think, in terms of how we are. In terms of just machines themselves, I think we run kind of similar, just in, I guess, a little bit of a different way. At the same time, yes, we are flesh and blood, but in a way, we are code in terms of DNA and RNA and how that translates and compiles. I think how we are and the advantages we have is the fact that we are humans. We do have compassion, feelings, and how we make our decisions. I think they're differently based on how a program would, where it just executes code versus decisions we make and what kind of changes that.
2: Oh, I love that perspective of, I mean, we technically are code, like breaking down certain DNA. Mm -hmm. That's very true. I love that description. Um, What is your relationship with machines and technology?
7: My relationship, I'm actually a developer. (laughs) So prior to this, I do write code and I do work machines, build computers and do that in IT. But for my relationship, it's a little bit different. I love it. I've been doing this for like years and years among those nerdy people who they just find a basement saying, oh yeah, mom, just let me finish this code. But in terms of my relationship, I've loved it. I love technology and seeing where it's come so far. And it's just, it's fantastic.
6: And my relationship with technology is uh, I have an iPhone. Um, (laughs) I can use Instagram and Google pretty well. Um, What else can I do? I can take pictures of myself. So I'm pretty technologically savvy, you know. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I'm pretty much on the same (laughs) spectrum. Um, When did your love for
2: technology and code start?
7: For me, it started when I was probably, I wanna say eight years old. My family's always had a history of like loving technology and how it's grown. And it's something that my dad had really instilled in me. He was like, Okay, we're gonna sit down, we're gonna build you a computer. At the time though, I was everywhere. I was like, All right, cool. Ooh, something shiny. And I would leave like seconds later. But just that interest that he kind of gave me early on kind of it still stuck with me. And just as a kid, i had my own computer. I built well, he helped me build it, but I was there. So I was able to use that to learn about websites and code and how that worked. And it interested me. It was really, it wasn't so much that it was how it worked that interested me as the creative outlet that it allowed me to do. Because at that time, it was more of a creative thing of, okay, here's a blank canvas. Let me fill it with stuff. Either it's text or images or something like that. It allowed me to kind of express myself. And from there, I just kind of started building from there. I was like, okay, I can take this and I think I can make a job or a career out of it. And I was able to do that. And it was really because of my parents. They really helped me with that. They, they backed me up.
2: Yeah, that's incredible. It is. I don't think a lot of people from the outside looking at um, technology and coding see how creative it is, because it really is. You're building something out of nothing, and you have to think outside the box of, you know, how to make things work and how to piece it together. It's a lot of trial and error, Um, but it's so creative. I mean, you really have to like delve deep into yourself and like different problem solving.
7: Yeah, that's like the biggest part. Any innovation really comes from trying to solve a problem in terms of what we do, not just in the city, but just everywhere in terms of how can I make something better? How can I make this easier? And just figure out a way to make that work.
2: Do you think you could ever love a machine?
7: I will say this, I guess it's technically, I don't know if it really counts as a machine to me and how I think of it, but I had such a deep, passionate love for my Jeep. Man, that <laughs> machine got me everywhere. <laughs> it broke my heart when I had to let it go. <laughs> true
6: story, true story. True story.
7: Mm-hmm.
2: I feel that. I have a really, really old car, and I'm just, like, holding my breath until it's just no more.
6: Mm-hmm. And I'm not
2: even, like, a car person, but I just, like, h- bonded with it, and I love it.
6: I can understand that because people personalize their cars. I My car has a name. All of the cars I've had have a name, so I guess people can really love technology in a way like yeah.
7: that. Almost like a pet. They're with yeah, you. Yeah, like a pet. Almost every day.
6: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like asking, is your dog, like, a human? Like, yeah it's it's a machine oh dog isn't a machine but it's like you know you kind of like humanize a yep, machine exactly yeah.
2: yeah we definitely do and then also like all the memories that that machine holds mm-hmm.
6: and just like what you've been through with it yeah places <laughs> it took you people it brought you together with stuff yeah, like that it's a relationship yeah may not
7: be like a personal one like this but it's a relationship yeah he
6: loves his car or his old car before My it broke body. Patty was Patty the the Jeep because he it brought him to me Uh many times he had to drive like 500 miles in it that's probably why it's no longer here
7: (laughs) it was a worthwhile sacrifice yeah so when
6: when it was gone it was like he was really it was it was bad
7: it was rough yeah a little bit of tears
6: (laughs) a lot of it.
3: That was Randa and Justin in the Question Booth. We'll be right back after this quick break.
0: BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and
8: Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything, for every passenger, feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global,
1: you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu.
9: And we're back.
2: And let's jump into the booth to hear from Trent.
9: So obviously the first thing that comes to mind is the difference between a human and a machine is conscious thought, but also, have you ever seen the movie Her? Yeah. That's kind of like pushes the boundaries though of conscious thought, right?
2: It does. That kind of leads into my other question is like, could you ever love a machine?
9: (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I think there's so much to different people. So, you know, I've had the chance to live kind of throughout the country and it's amazing how... Everywhere you're meeting different kind of people, but it's all kind of the same. I just like, I mean, every person has something different to offer. I mean, I'm sure a machine to an extent, but I just don't think you get quite the depth. Or does a machine have a past? Does it have stories? Because I think that that's what most interests me about other people is learning from what they've known.
2: Like what they've endured. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And like what things make them them. But... I don't know. It does seem like just the last couple of years, technology has come so far. And like with AI teaching machines how to learn and how to be more human.
9: It's interesting you say that. Last night I met a guy who has a chip implanted in his hand. So when you go to shake his right hand, you can feel it because it's right here in between his thumb and his second finger. And it allows him to unlock his house. It allows him to unlock his phone. I think he's working on it so he can like start his car and... And everything like that and it kind of reminded me of like that's what we're doing to dogs right we chip a dog so you can just scan them i work in see i work in rehab so i deal a lot with patients who've had strokes brain injuries spinal cord injuries and the amount of technology seen what they're developing there for people who right now they're implanting electrodes so that spinal cord injuries can move their arms right but right now it's they have to be so close to a computer that it's not really useful. They can't go out into the community and use this technology yet. So that's still being developed, but I, yeah, I mean, I'm excited for all of that stuff. Have you ever had a prank call where you answer the phone you say hello and it starts with a recording link? You're like, hey, uh, it just starts with them like, hey, what are you doing? And then you say, oh, nothing, just hang out. And then it goes on like, well, it just it has random set of prompts that it automatically says anything you say, it doesn't matter what you say. It's got like lines that it, got, it goes through. So think about AI doing that to you. Like AI will know what you're saying and know how to reply to what you're saying. It's not like you're talking to it, asking it a question, but it will just prompt automatically.
3: Let's hear another perspective. Here's Shelley.
10: A human and a machine. Okay, I, I believe that a human has the five senses. Uh, you can they can experience touch, smell, taste, hear. And I think that they have a conscience that helps um, decipher not just uh, mathematical or non-reasoning, uh, impersonal, information. I think a machine definitely can do that with a computer. But the sense of touch and smell and taste, you know, um, aren't there. I believe it's a little impersonal. I do think that machines are good and that they can take out some of the emotional aspects of their processes and um, decisions. Do you think a human could love a machine? I do. Actually, I know some people who (laughs) have actually said they could probably fall in love with an inanimate object um, easier than they could a human being um, and a machine. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity to work through, you know, some therapies and, and for companionship. But so I do think there are some people that are capable of falling in love with an inanimate, you know, a robot. What's your relationship with machines? Like, What do you think your relationship is with it? I am not a very technical person. I I prefer in this day and age, I would prefer to have a friend come over than to text them or to, you know, I like talking on the phone. But I I see the advantages of it. Um, I could see like if you're homebound then having a robot or having a uh, computer that you're working with could be a good way to still communicate and have relationship in that situation. Um, but I, I would see, like, let's say you're working, you have a situation with maybe at work or a relative or a friend that you're trying to work out, and you don't want to bring in another friend or another co-worker to discuss the issue. So if you had this machine that you could say, can you believe that this person did that and they treated me like this? And then maybe the reply would come back again, it would give you some perspective because you could, that person may agree with you or disagree with me, but you're not going to take it personally because it's a machine. Whereas if you call your friend and you say you wouldn't believe what happened at work today, they may say, well, maybe you should try this. And then you get defensive. Mm -hmm. um, And then you might get mad at your friend because you can't get the whole perspective. And I think if it was a computer or machine, you would feel differently about a machine telling you something than if it was your friend or your sister or your your child you wouldn't take it quite as personally you might be able to gain some insight. Do you think in the future there will be technology that will be able to mimic humans in the sense of emotion or a consciousness? I think so I mean again it's all programmed by a human so I think you if you have the knowledge to dissect those emotions and to be able to put it into um, you know some kind of electronic form yeah I think we're probably right around the corner from that. You know, you may not have a pet. You may have a pet rock. Um, (laughs) But again, with people that are alone, maybe the elderly, I could definitely see that it being very useful. And I think it's right around the corner.
2: I'm starting to understand where our participants are coming from. Can a machine really have all of the emotions of a human? My favorite part about the question booth are the real life connections I make. I don't see how a machine could take place of that. Our minds are so vast and complex. How could that be condensed into code? What do
3: you think, Dylan? I think I totally agree with you. Human emotion is very hard to synthesize, as far as I know at least. But I've been wrong before, and I'm just trying to stay optimistic and believe that we're very hard to replace.
2: Well, let's take a quick break. We'll be back with more Question Booth.
1: Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu.
2: And we're back.
3: Thanks for joining us.
2: And we have one more interview. This was by far one of my favorite groups from the weekend. Ooh! Here is Vicaria, Juliet, Andrew, and
4: Margaret.
9: It seems like it all circles around a question of almost a soul.
4: Well, that's what I was trying to think. Like, What can humans do that you feel like machines can never do, Mm -hmm. like creativity. Can machines have what we would consider like this concept of not doing what they're programmed to, even the concept of learning, like, you know, from experiences, that's not the same thing as conceptualizing, um, you know, broader concepts and Mm -hmm. trying to kind of put far reaching ideas together and creating analogies. And I feel like that's something that's kind of uniquely human. Like independence almost? Yeah, or like even just conceptual thinking. Right. Like, I don't know that machines, even no, AI machines, could. can think conceptually. Like They, they can, can, right? They can learn. think in abstract concepts. Because like they could probably define for you the idea of love. But do they understand it? They might memorize definitions. Right. But can they really like, but conceptualize? Can they,
2: yeah, and it's like they have robots that can recreate art. And right. mm-hmm. when you're an artist, part of your soul goes into your work. But like,
4: can this robot learn a new kind of art? Could it be like... Conceptual. Right. I think that's, yeah. It. Don't you think the most beautiful but, art could be created by AI? It depends on your definition of beauty, I think. Right, but, like, what I mean to say is couldn't they take all the ideas humans have come up with and then put them together and change it so that it creates this completely new idea that no human has ever come up with and then be like, wow, you have this amazing piece of art, and then are you human because you made that art? You think so? Like, that they weren't programmed to do. Like, they weren't programmed to take these pieces together and put them to make this thing. They might be programmed to show insight, but then they do that in their own way.
10: I think the unsettling
9: thing I'm coming to is that I'm a robot.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Wow, they unpacked a lot of amazing questions and ideas.
2: I know, I could have listened to them for hours. I'm pretty sure they continue to talk about the differences between a human and a machine after they left the booth that day.
3: That is what we love about the question booth. We want to spark conversation and reflection about a subject that our participants might have never thought about.
2: Is it weird to say that I'm sad every time a group leaves the booth? I just want to hang out with them for the rest of the day and keep talking.
3: No, 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 no. I totally get where you're coming from.
2: (laughs) Okay, good. I think this is one of those weeks that we were left with more questions than answers. But next week, I think we'll be able to clear up a lot of misconceptions with our expert, Dr. Mark Riddell, an associate professor at Georgia Tech.
3: And as always, we want to know what you think. What is the difference between a human and machine for you? You can write to us at the question booth at howstuffworks.com or tweet at us at question underscore booth with your answer. We'd like to give a special thanks this week to our executive producer, Julie Douglas. And we also want to thank Poncity City Market for hosting the question booth. The question booth is written, edited, and scored by me, Dylan Fagan, and my co-host Kathleen Cullian, who wrote a beautiful script this week.
2: Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Dylan. And thanks to everyone who came into the booth and spoke to me about this question. And if you're in Atlanta, you can visit the question booth. We're on the second floor of Pont City Market, 12 to 5 p.m., Friday through Sunday. Also, if you like what you hear, we'd love if you gave us a quick review on iTunes. It helps other people find the show.
3: And as we mentioned, we'll be talking more about the differences between humans and machines next week with our expert. But until then,
2: see you in the question booth.
9: We'll